You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 163, Best Buy. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flat. Today is July 27th, 2015, and I'm your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about Best Buy, your favorite store and mine. (laughs) Uh, I stored all my old Best Buy memories on my Commodore 64 using QuickWrite, so I'm going to have to load those up real quick. And while my notes are loading up, we have a few minutes to chat on this episode's loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. The last episode, uh, I talked about the Atari Arcade Game 720. It's funny because I recorded that episode, and then on the next episode of Sprite Castle, I also did 720, where I talked about the two different ports of 720 to the Commodore 64. There was kind of a, I left uh, the last episode hanging a little bit. I knew I was saying goodbye to my 720 arcade cabinet, but it had not actually left. But after I finished recording that episode, I contacted, uh, got back in contact with the guys from the Arcadia Retrocade over in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I borrowed my dad's trailer, which is a 16 foot long (laughs) open uh, trailer and uh, loaded up my last, basically, the rest of my arcade collection, which was 720, Rampart, what else was on there, Commando, and then a a multi-Williams machine. I loaded those four machines on the trailer and uh, wrapped them uh, using straps, tie-down straps, uh, and cardboard, and a tarp, and some plastic, and I wrapped them better than than any machines that I've ever transported. (laughs) I've moved a lot of arcade games, and sometimes I would throw them in the back of my truck. Sometimes I would, uh, for the when I used the trailer, I would strap them in but not put anything around them. So when I got them home, they would be covered in uh, dead bugs, <laughs> occasionally rock chips, things like that. But I, I, uh, I, I wrapped these up really good and drove them to the Arcadia Retrocade, again, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and uh, spent the day with the... Uh, those guys over there, Shay and uh, uh, Andy Pickle and uh, John Munkus, and I'm trying to think who else was out there. Um, a lovely young lady, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, uh, but um, just just a super awesome place. And and you know there aren't, I mean you can tell there are there are two different kinds of retro arcades out there right now. They're they're the ones that are being run by the people. Uh, that really have a, a love and appreciation of these machines and of that era. And then there are the ones that are in for a quick buck. 
you know, you see these places that are, they used to be a bar and they shut down and now they're a bar with arcade games. Uh, and the games are always in disarray or, or not working right. And, um, uh, Arcadia it definitely falls into the, the former category. Everybody that's there loves, uh, the eighties, they love, uh, you know, they have the cartoons playing, they have the music playing and they have, uh, and of course they have the machines and they are just treated, uh, with the utmost respect. So it was a little bittersweet, uh, getting rid of my 720 machine once and for all, but, uh, I know that the guys over at Arcadia are going to take really good care of it, and I know that if I ever want to play it, I can just uh, drive next door to Arkansas. Next door is about a four-hour drive, but uh, <laughs> I can drive uh, right over to Arcadia and play my old machine. So they couldn't have uh, gone to a better group of guys and a better place. So uh, that that kind of wraps up 720, uh, I guess, the whole 720 story. Um Let's see what else did I have on my list. I um, oh, multiple sadness. Uh, my my new podcast is is uh, tanking off. Uh, multiple sadness is about um, all things uh, bad movies. I, I think the tagline is uh, that I've it's kind of morphed into is movies so bad that they're good, but still mostly bad. Um, and uh, I've I've done two episodes of that. I did Microwave Massacre and I did Chopping Mall. Those are both movies that I grew up enjoying. Uh, they're both uh, B movies, but they're both really fun to watch. And I have lots of other episodes planned. So, um, and and you know, I I'm I'm not one of those people. I never really think about this. I never think about mentioning uh, iTunes and iTunes reviews, but, uh, that show has no reviews on iTunes. And, uh, so when you go search for it, it's kind of hard to find. So, uh, what I did last night was I went on iTunes and I went in the podcast section and I just typed up every single podcast that I listened to that I could think of, you know, all the great stuff over at, uh, the a APCN, all the stuff over at throwback network. And I just went through, uh, I mean, I spent five minutes and I just typed in random podcast names and as they came up, I would, uh, leave them a review. So if you want to do that, that, that would be a great way to help out, uh, not only myself, but all the podcasts that you listen to anything that you can do to get that rating up on iTunes helps people find the shows. Uh, and that's really, um, uh, the whole point to all this. So, uh, if you want to do that, go do that, go to iTunes and find multiple sadness or you don't know flack or Sprite castle or throwback uh, reviews or, uh, any of the podcasts that you listen to and, uh, give them a quick review. It really helps people out. Um, uh, I got a digital book a while back and I forgot to mention it. And I said, I was going to mention it on the show and I didn't, but, uh, it was a book written by a fellow named Mark Alley. And the book is, uh, I was geeky when geeky wasn't cool. Uh, and you can find this book on Amazon. Uh, and that's probably the easiest, uh, place to find it. I mean, you can, uh, you could get it like for your Kindle electronically, or I think you can, um, of course you can just get a, a printed out, you know, a paper copy or whatever, but, um, it's one of those types of books that reminds me of Commodore and, and there are several other books of that vein in which, uh, people talk about, you know, they, uh, reminisce about the eighties and they tell stories about their childhood. And, um, you know, every time I read one of these books, uh, people, the, the counter that people always say is, well, I don't know who Mark Alley is and people don't know or didn't know who Rob O'Hara was. And, and, um, uh, you know, so when people, you don't really have to know the people 
to know the stories, you know, and when you read uh, Mark's stories about Transformers and and uh, Christmas morning and not getting a gift that he really wanted and, and um, you know, the different kind of stories that are in there and, and the uh, – um, the cover of the book uh, is a cartoon drawing, and it has a. I assume that's a, a, a mark on the front, and it has uh, him holding a transformer and a lightsaber, and there's a Rubik's cube, and and looks like a, a Dungeons and Dragons uh, die down there on the table. So, uh, you know, obviously, you're going to have things in common uh, with Mark, just like I did, and just like people when they read my books. You know, I have a lot of people that read. Commodore that uh, say, you know, oh, I felt like you were telling my story or I remember when these things were happening, you know, so uh, even if, uh, uh, you know, you might say, well, it's a it's a person I don't know, but you may relate to the stories anyway. So anyway, I did read uh, Mark's book and I enjoyed it. So if you want to check that out, you could go find that at uh, I was geeky when geeky wasn't cool. And you can find that on Amazon. And I think that's all I have for this week's episode which is good timing because now my notes are loaded. So if you have any feedback about this episode or any other episode of the show in general, you can always email your feedback to me at Rob O'Hara at Rob or leave a message for me on the, you don't know flag voice mailbox, which is four Oh five four eighty six YDKF. Now let's get started with some stories about best buy. My parents told me before I turned 16 that they would pay for my first car, but that I was responsible for paying for gas and insurance. And this was uh, an arrangement I was familiar with because in Oklahoma, at the age of 14, you could get a motorcycle's uh, license. So I already had been driving a motorcycle for two years and had been paying for gas and and uh, had already got used to that freedom of being able to, to come and go within uh, certain restrictions, of course. And so uh, before I turned 16, I started applying at uh, lots of different jobs. And I really wanted a job that wasn't in fast food. I applied at Sound Warehouse and I applied at, uh, uh, you know, different kinds of places like that. But nobody was uh, hiring 16-year-old kids uh, that I could find, uh, or maybe I should just say nobody would hire me. <laughs> so, uh, so instead I, I did, uh, I did my time in fast food. I worked at, uh, Mazio's pizza. I worked at pizza hut and pizza Inn. actually I worked at three different pizza huts and three different pizza inns, maybe four pizza inns. I have to think about that. I worked at a place called heavenly pizza. Uh, so I, I did my time in fast food, uh, for, for several years. I graduated, uh, well, I started working at pizza before I graduated. I started probably in, uh, gosh, 89, I guess, um, my sophomore year. And, uh, so I, I, I know my way around a pizza oven, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but, uh, eventually I, I got tired of the pizza business and I was looking for something that would, uh, not only pay a little bit more, but just wouldn't be uh, fast food. And so I had applied at a couple different places and I put my application in Best Buy. Now, Best Buy was uh, not too far from my house, probably a 15-minute drive, uh, but it wasn't uh, wasn't too far out of the way, so that, that wasn't too bad. And, and I put my application in. I think someone had told me they were hiring, and I didn't hear anything back. And um, 
I asked my parents about it, and they said, "Well, you know, you, you should do a follow up. So you should call, you know, the store and, and um, ask for, you know, to follow up and and just see if they're still hiring." So I did that, and uh, couldn't get a hold of uh, the computer. They kept telling me there was a, a man named Tracy I needed to talk to who was in charge of uh, the computer area, but I, I just couldn't seem to reach him. And uh, so I called back, you know, two or three times, and finally, uh, I was told, you know, to show up at. I think it was like seven o'clock in, in the evening, show up at seven o'clock and, uh, and you can do an interview with Tracy. So I was pretty excited about that, you know? Uh, so I showed up at the store and, uh, and Best Buy had these little table areas, uh, for people that were applying for credit. You could get, uh, uh, Best Buy credit if you're buying a large item, like a television or things like that. And, uh, they just forwarded the the loan to somebody else. But anyway, there was this little table area. And so I sat at that area and I got there at seven and I just waited and waited and waited. And people came by and said, do you need anything? I said, no, I'm, I'm waiting for Tracy, you know? And, uh, Tracy was the supervisor of the computer area. And it turns out Tracy's very busy guy. So, uh, it was probably, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes, something like that. And then finally Tracy came over and uh, he was like, oh, so you want to work at computers? And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, do you know about computers? And I said, yeah. I mean, this would have been uh, 1994. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd had computers at that point in my life for 15 years. And and uh, I think he may have asked me a question or two, like something like, you know, uh, so if if somebody needs more storage on their computer for a program or something, do they need a hard drive or RAM or a monitor or something like that? I mean, something very elementary. And I was like, well, I need a bigger hard drive. And he's like, okay, you're hired. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'll, I'll take the paperwork. I'll tell him whatever. And we'll give you a call. I mean, so that was it. It was literally like a two minute interview. The The hardest part was, was actually getting uh FaceTime with the guy, but uh, I, I did eventually. And, uh, so I was hired. So that was it. So I went up to the, uh, the main, uh, there's a little manager's cage, I guess you would call it. And they asked me what size of shirt I wore. And they said they'd order one and, and, uh, they would order you one shirt. And if you wanted a second shirt, uh, you had to pay for it. And I told them I wanted a second shirt because, uh, I don't want to be doing laundry every single day, you know, and plus I'm like a big sweaty guy, <laughs> you know? So I think some people could get away with wearing shirts two or three times, but, uh, I don't want to be smelly on, on the floor, you know? So, um, uh, so anyway, they ordered me shirts and, uh, a week or two later, they called me back. I had a little, uh, training session and the training session really just consisted of, uh, I was in a small room with two other guys and they had a, a VCR, uh, on a little, you know, rolling cart, just like what you would see in a school. And, and they played a video and they told about the, uh, the old history of Best Buy and how it had been a, uh, electronics company that started in, uh, Minnesota. You can read all about this, uh, on the Wikipedia page if you really want to. But, uh, there was something about, there was a, uh, a storage area and it got hit by a tornado or something and they needed to move a lot of product in a hurry. And so they had sent it out to all these stores and this and that. So, uh, but the big difference about from between Best Buy and Circuit City, which Circuit City was right down the street from Best Buy, and that was kind of our uh, our closest competitor uh, physically. You know, I mean, they were they were right down the street. Uh, but the the big difference between us was that the Circuit City guys made commission, so they were really uh, I won't say high pressure sales, but they were salesmen that would talk to you on the floor. And Best Buy was not about commission. They did not pay commission. And so you weren't really a salesman as much as you were 
um, you know, assistance. So you stood on the floor and you helped people out. So they explained all that. And um, that that was pretty much it. I'm sure they went over some things about, you know, you're supposed to show up to work on time or whatever. But uh, at the time that I started, I mean, I'm sitting here looking through my notes, and I believe that um, minimum wage at that time was either 435 or 485 an hour, uh, and I was making about 585. So it was a little bit more uh, than minimum wage. I know at uh, Pizza Hut. And this was after being there for a couple of years. I was making like ten cents over minimum wage, uh, but I got tips. I was a, when I would would deliver pizza. At least I got tips, you know. So, um, you know, so five eighty five was not not great money, but it was a dollar more than minimum wage. Uh, and like I said, the uh, there were no commissions, so you couldn't make any extra money uh, that way. But what you could make extra money uh, with was uh, working hours, and so. Uh, you know, at the beginning they would schedule people for two or three days a week, something like that. And you could always trade and get other people's schedules. And then if you were good and you, uh, you know, did what you were supposed to do, you would get more hours. And so I, I don't think it was very long before I was, uh, working 40 hours a week and they did, uh, I believe paid overtime <laughs> if I remember right. And that was always the goal was to try to get more than 40 hours a week, which was uh, actually, uh, uh, pretty easy to do. There were uh, several part-time guys that would come in, people that had day jobs, and they would come in and work. Uh, there was an older gentleman. Uh, there was a guy, if I remember right, he was a car salesman. Uh, but people that were just needing a little bit of extra money. So they would come in and work you know, two or three hours sometimes in the evening. But for the most part, you either worked uh, you know, the day shift, which would be – they opened at uh, 10 or 11. I think they opened at 10. Uh, but the day shift, you would come in a little bit earlier, eight or nine, something like that, and and uh, open the store and vacuum and make sure all the product was uh, lined up on the shelves. So there was a day shift, and then there was a night shift where you would come in at four or five o'clock and work until uh, after close and, and do the same thing. You know, make sure uh, everything was cleaned up and uh, and ready to go for the next morning. Uh, one of the things I learned right off the bat at Best Buy is that there is no back area. Uh, and we were, we were told to tell people that what we have is on the shelves. Now, uh, on those long aisles, if you look up on top of the aisles, often you will see product stacked up there. And so that is where that is the storage area. <laughs> um, now, occasionally you'll get somebody who's willing to climb up there and look around for something. But that's the idea is that the people at the end of the night and at the, uh, in the morning would pull that product down and, and restock the shelves. Um, but yeah, there's no, uh, there are two different warehouses or there was at my best buy, but, but they weren't, uh, uh, full of product. So anyway, that's what we always told people is what we have is, is on the shelves. And there were a lot of different areas. I mentioned that uh, I started in the computer area. There was also a computer software and book area, which I, I worked in uh, for a little while later on. Uh, there was the appliance area where they had washers and dryers and refrigerator. And then the uh, television area uh, where we had big TVs. And then there was a uh, electronics. I, I don't know what you would call it. Smaller electronics, I guess. Uh, where we had like uh, home stereos and telephones and, and uh, smaller things like that. Uh, and then along with those items or those different areas, there were uh, cashiers, of course, and managers. Now, there were a couple of managers that would work up at the front and stay up in the front, but most of the what we would call managers were supervisors that actually worked the floor with us, just like everybody else. Um, and then the last area 
were the uh, loss prevention or LP people. And those are, uh, they had different shirts. They had yellow shirts while the rest of us all had blue shirts. And the uh, LPs were the guys that would, uh, or gals. There was a, a lady that I was friends with that was a loss prevention specialist. And those were the people that, that sat at the front of the store and uh, used the camera to try to thwart off shoplifters that were coming in, bad people. But uh, as you'll find out as I talk more during this episode, uh, a lot of times it was uh, the people that work there <laughs> were the biggest problem and not people coming in uh, off the street. I mentioned uh, that there were two warehouses. There's a brown goods warehouse and a white goods warehouse. White, if you think of white being clean, the uh, white goods is where things came in. So the trucks would uh, back up that were delivering things to the store, would, would bring them in, and they would come into the white goods warehouse. So white goods was incoming, and then brown goods was the outgoing warehouse. And so that's where when people would return things that were faulty or defective, eventually they would go to the brown goods warehouse, and there was a guy that worked in there named Curtis, and he would uh, package all these things up on pallets and wrap them up, and when there was one that was big enough, a truck would show up, and it would go back off to, uh, I guess, to Best Buy Central somewhere who would return that product or whatever, but that's uh, brown goods was outgoing, so white goods in and brown goods out. I mentioned uh, trucks arriving in the white goods warehouse. If I remember correctly, we got two trucks a week. And if you worked the truck, it was a very uh, physical thing. But it was also an easy way to get hours at the store because uh, uh, for the most part, a lot of people didn't like working truck. And I, I liked working truck. And I had a few of my friends that did too. So we would always uh, you know sign up to do the truck. But basically, the, the truck would show up. Uh, a couple times a week. If I remember right, there was one, uh, I think it was like maybe Tuesday and then Saturday or something like that, or Wednesday and Saturday or something, but it was twice a week like that. Uh, and the one that was during the week, I don't know. I can't remember. Maybe they both came in the morning. <laughs> it's funny how these memories, uh, uh, start to fade, but, uh, but when the truck would show up, there was somebody that would work in the warehouse that would unload all the stuff off the truck. I mean, not just one person, multiple people, but, uh, so there was somebody that would take inventory and say, you know, we got this many TVs and this many computers or whatever, and they would mark all that off. And, uh, but then everything would come off the truck and be sorted into piles that would go to, um, each different department. So all the computer stuff would go in a pile, all the electronics would go in a pile and so on and so forth. Uh, and then so, uh, but that was the first group. There was somebody, a couple of people that would unload the truck like that. Um, and you wanted to get it unloaded into the white goods as quick as possible. And then, uh, there was usually what I did. <laughs> there was two other jobs, I guess I would say. And sometimes you did both of them. Uh, but the second job was you, uh, use the dolly. And so you would grab a dolly and that's what you did is you went and, uh, uh, you know, picked up a pile for computers and you delivered it to computers and you picked up, uh, you know, a TV and you took it to TV and you would line this stuff up, you know, down the center of the aisles and hopefully on the aisle, you know, where those things would go, but not always. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, the third job was the people that would take the stuff off the aisles and put them on, uh, you know, up on the shelves, or if it wouldn't fit on the shelves, they would put them up on the area that's up above the shelves. I don't know really what to call that, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it's the area, like I said, it's, if you look at the shelves and then up, there's a big flat metal area up above where the shelves are. And it's, it's wider than you would think. It's probably 
six foot across maybe. And um, I have a funny story about that I'll be telling later, but uh, big solid area. So, uh, And then, uh, uh, of course, to get that stuff up and down, we had these ladders. And they were uh, um, big metal ladders that were on wheels. <clears throat> and uh, at the top of the ladder, there'd be a platform. And the platform had two rows. Um, I mean, if you were standing on the top of the platform, there would be two, gosh, what would you call it? Like, uh, metal guards that kind of went around. One would come, uh, about up to your knee maybe. And then the other one would come up to about your hip. And it was just a, a little safe, uh, metal railing to keep you from falling off that platform. But what we learned very quickly is that if you wanted to stack, uh, computers or monitors up on top of those aisles, uh, you had to stand on the safety rails. So if you were a wimp like me at first, uh, you had you stood on the first set of rails, and if you pushed your legs out, you were still pushing against the second set of rails. So it's kind of dangerous, but um, you know it was okay. But then the real daredevils would get up on the top rail. So you're just literally standing on. Uh, these metal poles <laughs> on top of a ladder that's on wheels, holding heavy computers and stacking them up. So not a good safety idea. I'm sure that was not covered uh, in the safety video that we watched when we were uh, hired. Um, anyway, like I said, I worked in the computer area and um, I don't remember how many aisles we had, like six aisles or something like that. And so that was our job was just to walk around the aisles. And if people had questions like wanting to know where something was or to get something down, um, that, that's all we did was answer questions, you know. Uh, a lot of times we, we hung out in the center area. If you've been to Best Buy and they used to have all the computers on display, I'm sure they still do. Um and so people would say, what's the difference? You know, why is this better than this? Now, when I started at Best Buy, all of our computers there were 486s. So that kind of dates uh, this episode. This is 1994, uh, and I worked there through uh, the spring of 1995. And um, basically, uh, you know, people would say, oh, well, how do you do this? And you'd show them on the computer or whatever. But I, I do remember while I worked there, we got a Pentium. Uh, a Pentium 60 was the first one. And I, and it was like the, the king of all the computers. So it was 486s all the way up. And then right at the end was this, with this Pentium, you know, and, uh, while I was there, I'm pretty sure we got, uh, multiple different levels of Pentium. I mean, I remember Pentium sixties and 75s and nineties and hundreds. And, but, uh, uh, that, that started while I was there. And in fact, I remember, um, uh, we, we'd got some software in and it was, uh, I believe it was magic carpet. I believe is the name of the game, uh, from electronic arts. I have to go back and check that, but, uh, it says on the side recommended Pentium processor. And I would, uh, I would tell people, I'm like, well, you know, Pentium's really, you don't really need that right now. You're pretty good with a 486. And I would say, but you know, it's coming. <laughs> I mean, now that we have games that say they want a Pentium, uh, you know, someday, uh, I was like, someday these will all be Pentiums <laughs> and people say, no way. Um, but, uh, anyway, uh, the, the, the aisle that was the worst aisle to get stuck on was the printer aisle because we would have, uh, you know, 30 different bubble jet 
and inkjet printers and even some uh, you know dot matrix printers at the time. And people would come in and they would be like, what's the difference between this printer and this printer? And you're like, I have no idea. All The only thing – there's no training where you go in and people are like, now let me tell you about the bubble jet, the Canon uh, 82. What, uh, no, that, <laughs> that doesn't happen. The only information we had was what was written on the box or on the little card that would be right there in front of the printer. So you could look and you'd be like, well, this is – 50 pages per minute, and this is 45, so I'm guessing this one's faster? I mean, that's all you could do. It was the exact same thing that they could do. And they would ask you all these questions. Like, now in a, in a test, you know, if you're going to do 100,000 copies and you have a, a business, you know, where you're doing this, what's the best value? And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you're just going to have to look at the picture, look at the little card I'm looking at, and, and we'll have to make up an answer together. Uh, but the printer, the printer aisle, and some printers had a thing where um, you you could punch in a code or something, and it would do it would print out like a demo sheet, you know. So it would print out this little uh, picture, like a color picture of a parrot or something like that, and people were constantly printing those out, you know, because they wanted to see how fast it would go. Um, but the thing is it wasn't written down how to do that. So people would say, Hey, can you print a demo on this? And you're like, no, I mean, you just beep, 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 like randomly press buttons. <laughs> and it was, it was always, I tried to avoid uh, the printer aisle as much as I could. And in fact, um, right around the corner from the printers, there was like two more aisles and then there was, uh, the restrooms and a water thing and the employee break area. And so, uh, on multiple occasions, people would stop and say, hey, can you show me this printer? I'd be like, oh, yeah, let me grab the book. And I would go two aisles away, duck into the little thing, go in the break room and sit there for 10 minutes. And hopefully they would leave. <laughs> so if you ever wondered if you were ever at Best Buy and you were like, I was talking to a guy and uh, he left. And so uh, and then that would be it. <laughs> now you know where they go. They all go hide from you uh, in the employee break area. And one thing that was confusing when I started was um, – even though all the employees look the same, they're all wearing blue shirts and khaki pants. Um, but uh, you're supposed to stay in your area. And I didn't know anything about TVs or stereos or any of that, you know. So uh, sometimes, like, you would walk to the front of the store and then you'd be walking back and somebody would stop you and they're like, oh, can you tell me about this telephone? No. <laughs> and And now, uh, as an adult, seeing these places, I understand that. I mean, you're really supposed to stay in your area, but, uh, I would always try to be really helpful and find somebody, you know, and say, Oh, well, you know, here's this guy and, and he can help you out or whatever. But a lot of people would just, you know, be rude. I mean, they would just say, Oh no, I don't work here and, and walk off. And I never liked doing that. Um, but anyway, so I tried to stay in my little area. Of course we had, uh, we sold the computer, so we would sell the computer warranties. Now, again, we did not get commission, uh, you know, as, as people working on the floor for selling these, but, um, each department had numbers that they were supposed to sell, you know? So, um, I would always give them to people and I would, you know, I would say like, here, listen, I'm required because I work here to give this to you <laughs> and you just need to come up on your own, whether or not you want it. And some people were, you know, they're like, Oh, tell me about the warranty. And I, and I'd explain it to them, you know? Uh, and Best Buy actually got involved in a lawsuit. I believe it was after I worked there, but it was uh, from employees misrepresenting uh, what the warranties covered. Because when we sold the computers, it would say uh, that it was a four-year warranty. Well, if uh, the computer came, like a Packard Bell, came with a three-year warranty from the company, then if you brought it back like a month later, it we would not fix it. We would ship it off to Packard Bell. Uh, and so people were often confused by that and it was a confusing thing. And so I think there was actually a, uh, class action lawsuit <laughs> from people that felt like, uh, the warranty thing had been misrepresented. 
Um, but, but, uh, you know, so I never push the warranties. I would just tell people, Hey, you know, I would give them, we had a little hand, uh, like pamphlets we could hand out and I would hand it to them. I would say like, here's a warranty thing. You might want to look it over, see if it's, if that's what you want, you know, and that's all I would do. Cause I'm not, not big on the confrontation, but, uh, but that's what we did. We sold computers and modems and Ram, Ram was the only thing I remember. Ram was so expensive back in the day. Um, if uh, when I started there, you could get one meg of RAM for about thirty dollars, and then they had uh, four meg ones, you know, and it would be like multiply it by four and then subtract a little bit. Like I think so. If it was it was thirty dollars for one meg, I think four megs would be like one hundred or something like that, you know. And we had eights and a few sixteens. The the RAM was the biggest thing I remember that was always locked up. It was locked up under lock and key. Uh, if you can imagine people, you know, wanting to steal one meg of RAM where now, you know, we just, uh, of course, everything's in gigs <laughs> for us now. And I just ordered a, a machine not too long ago. And, and the minimum I could get was uh, either eight or 16 gigs of RAM. So uh, th- that's obviously changed a lot uh, since then. We also had uh, monitors. We sold a lot of monitors. And we had this big um, bank of monitors. And if you went to Best Buy in the 90s, you probably remember this. It was like a maybe a 3x3 three three or a 4x4 four four grid of monitors. And these are not flat screens. These are the big CRT heavy dudes. Uh, and they were hooked to a computer with a video splitter. So it would run a screensaver and you could see the difference uh, between all the monitors, which is actually a terrible idea. Um, because kids would come up and change, you know, they would tweak all the color settings and do all that. And so, you you know, people come up and look at a monitor, they're like, oh, that one's all red. Well, yeah, it's all red because some four-year-old just <laughs> changed all the colors, you know. Uh, but anyway, so that's what I did. I worked in computers and I had a lot of good friends, uh, in that area, not just, uh, Tracy, which I mentioned, uh, who, uh, was, uh, the supervisor over computers, but he was also a really good friend to all of us. And, and, uh, there was Mike and David and Lance and Brian and Nathan. I'm sure a lot of people I'm forgetting. I, I had a lot of stories, uh, you know, I, this was where I spent 40 hours a week. And so, uh, and these were all computer guys and guys that were my same age. And so we, we just went on, uh, we did a lot of stuff together. My favorite, um, uh, well, I won't say my favorite guy, but probably the guy that I was best friends with, uh, was Brian. And, uh, the, the thing I loved about Brian was, uh, I had a really like terrible hair. <laughs> I had, I mean, I had grown it out. Uh, and it was kind of greasy looking and not, not good looking hair. And I had a, a goatee and I was a little overweight and, uh, you know, not really a, a snazzy dresser. And Brian was like, he was like the dude, like when you saw this guy, like he had really long hair and he had his eyebrow pierced and, uh, he had a goatee also. Uh, and of course, you know, we would, we would both be wearing, uh, blue shirts and the khakis, you know? And so people would come up to him all the time and say, Hey, I was just talking to you. And then he was like, no. And so people would, customers would get, uh, the two of us confused, which I found hilarious because I probably weighed 50 pounds more than Brian at least. Uh, and, and he was, you know, a couple inches taller than me. And he was like this, you know, good looking put together guy. And I was not. And so I, I found it hilarious. I think it probably, <laughs> or Tim that people had confused the two of us. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so I worked at Best Buy for, um, Oh, about a month, maybe two months learning the ropes. And then Tracy came up to me and said, Hey, I'd like to put you on the O team. Uh, 
And I said, I don't know what that is. And he said, well, there's a, a store opening in Tulsa and we're going to go work there. And so and that's what the O team is. And I, I was like, well, okay, let me think about it, which I'm sure puzzled him, you know. And I went home and I, and I talked to Susan and I said, well, they, they want me to, to go work at the Tulsa store. And, and I didn't know if this meant I was going to commute all the time or how this is going to work. And so I went back, you know, the next day and I told Tracy, I said, well, you know, I don't, I don't really know if I can commute to Tulsa and all this. And so he starts laughing. He says, no, that's not how it works. And how, how it works is uh, when there's a new store opening, they get together a bunch of people and from all different stores and uh, everybody sends a group of people uh, to that store and you work there for a week. So you work, uh, you show up on Monday, like if the grand opening's on Saturday, let's say. So you work uh, Monday through Friday at the store, getting everything ready. And uh, Saturday through Sunday is opening day. And then you go back home. So it's like a week long trip. So I said, oh, I would do that. You know, Tulsa's two hours away. Uh, but I actually thought I was being transferred, you know, but that, that wasn't the case. So, so, uh, and, and I asked, what does the O team do? And he says, oh, well, they hook up all the, the demo computers and, you know, they, they put all the stuff, I mean, they get everything ready. And I was like, well, that sounds really cool. It's like, you're setting up a Best Buy, you know, uh, they hang up all the display signs and the lights. I mean, the, like the color displays and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm in, you know? So, um, uh, Brian went and, um, I'm trying to think some of the other people. When does really matter? But uh, there are several of us that went. And uh, Chris is somebody I left off my list. Uh, Chris was a, a buddy of mine, too. And I know Chris went. And uh, so anyway, when we got there, they were like, hi, uh, grab a dolly. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. You got us confused. We're the, <laughs> we're the computer guys here. We're going to be wiring up these computers. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, no, get a dolly. Uh, and so that's what we did. We unloaded trucks every day. For like 12 hours a day. I mean, every, you know, once an hour, a truck would show up and they would yell truck and you'd grab a dolly and go move all the stuff and you'd be putting stuff and you wouldn't even be done. And they'd yell truck. And, and so that's what they brought us in was for, <laughs> for physical labor. I didn't wire up any computers. I didn't hang up uh, any signs. I didn't do any of the displays. No, I did trucks. And uh, they got us a room at the La Quinta Inn. And so we, we would uh, go there. And I was excited as a kid. They would give us, uh, I don't remember what the per diem was. It was something like 20 bucks a day for food or something, which I thought was amazing. And uh, so we would get up. We would sleep at the La Quinta. We would get up and have their breakfast. And then we would go to Best Buy. And Best Buy would provide uh, lunch. And then if we were done in time for dinner, then we would go get our own dinner. But I, if I remember right, for the most part, we worked through dinner too. Uh, and uh, the people there were buying like Subway sandwiches. Uh, you know, and they would put it in the break room, but of course we were moving around dollars. So by the time we got there, uh, all the food was gone. <laughs> so you'd work, you know, all day and be all sweaty and gross and nasty and then go, and then there was no food. It was really, uh, frustrating. But, uh, uh I, I remember, uh, a few times like Brian and I would, would sneak out. We would go next door and go get something to eat and then come back, you know, which they didn't say anything, uh, because I'm sure they knew that they were, that, uh, you know, we were getting screwed, uh, by doing that. Now I was also, uh, I mentioned I was friends with a couple of the, uh, LP people, the loss prevention guys. And that was a big deal when you're setting up a store because they were really concerned about, uh, uh, new, you know, product just going out the front door or whatever. And so there were a few times where the LP people would, would leave and they would, uh, you know, say, Hey, I know, I know this Rob guy and he's trustworthy. And so they would put me just to sit up front. And a lot of times, 
you don't have to do anything other than be sitting up front because that will dissuade a lot of people uh, from from walking out with uh, stolen goods or whatever. So I would sit up there and I would use the camera and just uh, act like I knew what I was doing. I had zero training on that. But uh, uh, <laughs> when they would go eat or something, sometimes I, w- I would sit up there, which was a good job because you got to sit down. So I would sit in this chair and, and um, there was a little bank of uh, buttons that would switch between the cameras and a little joystick where you could zoom in and out and pan around. So that was kind of fun to play with. Uh, I never, I never caught anybody all the times that I did, uh, man, the cameras, I never caught anybody, but it was fun to do. So, uh, anyway, after our five days of, uh, getting the store together, they had the grand opening on Saturday, and uh, there was a lot of uh, damaged equipment, you know, because stuff was coming in so fast. And so they had a big tent sale outside. And um, if there was something that was damaged, they would take it out to this uh, tent sale, and then they would mark it down, and we would, we would put it on sale because they wanted to get rid of it, you know. And uh, I, this is the first time where I was at Best Buy where I watched uh, employees – uh, and a lot of them were people, like not even people I worked with, you know, but uh, I would just watch somebody go and like step on a box and smash the box and then come out and say, oh, it's a damaged box and then write themselves a ticket, you know, for a damaged box and then pay for it and then take it out to their car. Uh, and just people really abusing the system. You know, Best Buy had a pretty good um, employee discount. They had a good good way. Uh, I mean, it was definitely I spent a lot of money at Best Buy while I was working at Best Buy. But it was kind of disheartening to see that. I bought two things at the tent sale, and I did not damage either one of them. Uh, One was a pair of uh, Iowa speakers, A-I-W-A. They were attached to like a stereo system, and the stereo system didn't work. So someone pulled the speakers off and said they would sell those. Uh, and I bought those, and those are sitting on my computer to this day. So I, I bought those in the fall of 1994, and it's 2015. So uh, they're still holding up. So Iowa makes a good speaker. This episode brought to you by Iowa Speakers. Uh, and I also bought a stuffed Sonic the Hedgehog doll. I have no idea why, like a plush Sonic the Hedgehog. I have no idea why it was at Best Buy. It must have been part of some kind of Sega promotion or something. Uh, but it was out there, and I paid a couple bucks for it, and it's sitting in my movie room. <laughs> so there you go. So the moral of the story is that Rob does not get rid of things, which if you've listened to any other episode of You Don't Know Flack, you already know that. Uh, so anyway, the O team was fun. We came back home. I worked at computers for a little uh, while longer, and then they had expanded the computer software area, and so I, I moved over to software. And software was uh, boring. I mean, I, I – I liked it, but there was like 11 rows of software. And um, people used to ask me a lot of times, you know, this is in the 90s, and I was doing some art and desktop publishing on the computers, and people would always ask me uh, why I didn't own a Macintosh. And at that time, our uh, our software, there were 11 aisles of software. Eight of them were dedicated to PCs, and then aisles 9 and 10 were books. And then aisle 11 was Macintosh software. And so that's why I didn't uh, buy a Mac was because all the games I wanted to play, all the stuff I wanted to do was down on the PC side. So I was perfectly happy with that. Every now and then uh, I didn't even go really to the Mac uh, software area. Occasionally someone would come in and want to know where something was and, and I would point them to that. But mostly I hung out. I would just spend my time looking at the, the boxes of the games and flipping through uh, the books, you know, and one of the uh, – 
It's funny. One of the this was during the time. I don't know if you remember these books. If you're old enough, you remember these books that would be like the guide to the internet. And it was before you know we had Google and and uh, and search engines to just find anything. So they would just be lists. Uh, or even before websites, it would be lists of FTP sites and gopher sites and things like that. And I would flip through those things and, and I had a little piece of paper. I would write them down, you know, and, uh, and take notes while I was, so I was sitting there at work, but I would be flipping through reading the books, you know, um, but, uh, and, and there was no arranging the software, like the way I wanted. I mean, it was laid out the way it was supposed to be. Uh, and so when you got a new product, you would have to move things around or whatever, but, uh, there was no like creativity or anything. All you did was put the boxes where they were supposed to go. And, and, uh, when people asked for something, you would, you would point them to that. And I, I remember being frustrated a few times because I'd be in software and people from the computer area would come over and say, hi, can you help me with this computer? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm in computer software. And people did not understand that. You know, they're like, well, I need help over here. Well, sorry. Would you like to buy a new copy of Battle Chess? <laughs> I could do that for you. Uh, so anyway, I, I did computer software before I moved up to the tech booth, which was uh, the most fun I had at Best Buy. Uh, I did write down here um, around that time, there were several midnight, big midnight music releases and I would come in and work those. And it wasn't just for the people in the music section. Now, everybody that would that worked in the music, like the CDs and all that, they uh, they would have to come in and help people. But more than that, uh, they needed the rest of us just for security. So my job was to stand between, like at the end of the CD section before the computer section uh, and just stand there and not let anybody wander that way, you know. Um, and sometimes when they had a, a big one, uh, like for example, the first one that I did was, uh, the Eagles, when hell freezes over, they released their CD and there was a midnight sale and that came out. I looked this up on November 8th, 1994. And so when you showed up, you would just go through a line, you would pick up your CD and then you would go to the register and buy it. You know, they didn't really want people wandering through the rest of the store when you did that. So that was my job was just to stand there and make sure people didn't wander, uh, through the, the rest of the store. I also, um, remember doing, uh, Van Halen's uh, album Balance, and it came out on January 24th, 1995, and I worked that one as well. Again, by worked, I mean I stood there. <laughs> um, and then uh, on April 4th, 1995, uh, was the day that Tesla came and uh, performed. They had a concert in Oklahoma City, and so they had a meet and greet at Best Buy. And, uh, that was really fun. So, you know, of course me and, uh, Brian, several of us were uh, metalhead type guys, you know, uh, and Tesla was not, you know, definitely not heavy metal or, uh, but, uh, you know, we, we like Tesla. And so, um, what they did was they brought their limo up to the back of the store and they all came in through the Brown Goods warehouse. And <laughs> so they were all in like in the warehouse and then they came out, and there was a table back there, kind of by appliances, I guess. Uh, and people would come through the store, and they could buy a Tesla CD or whatever. And this was like during uh, business hours, you know. It was before their concert. And people come through, and they would get their stuff signed. And there were so many girls that came and had brought flowers uh, and, you know, teddy bears and uh, pillows. I remember there was a pillow that somebody had put Tesla on, you know, and all this. And they left all this stuff. And so... Uh, 
when the band was all done, they went back through the, the brown goods warehouse and they took all this stuff back there and they left it in the warehouse and they were like, all right, well, we're out. We got to go to our show. And, and I remember standing there and they said, well, what do we do with all this stuff? And they were like, we can't take that on tour, you know? And they were like, take it home and give it to your, your girlfriends or your wives or whatever. Um, but yeah, we, we don't take that stuff. And, uh, I thought that was really weird. And so that was uh, one night where I came home from, from Best Buy with, uh, flowers, um, I wish I'd have got the pillow that said Tesla, <laughs> but I think I brought, uh, I think, I think I maybe brought some chocolates, like some flowers and some chocolates home to Susan. I was like, here you go. Courtesy of Tesla. Uh, and I did meet, uh, a couple other celebrities. I'm going to talk about that uh, here in a little bit, but, uh, uh, so that, that part of, uh, Best Buy was definitely fun. But after uh, computer software area, I moved up to the tech booth, and there was this this scrawny little guy. I, and I feel bad; I can't even remember his real name, but we all called him the Hulk. And he he was, you know, like just pencil thin, and he would wear like a lab technician type thing. And he was, uh, you know, when they started this, he was the only guy that worked up there. And then I I came in and filled in behind, uh, you know, like I was his help. Uh, so. It was the two of us, and sometimes we were both in there. A lot of times it was just one or the other. Uh, and the tech booth, this was – of course, this is like way before Geek Squad or whatever. This was like the Wild West. I mean people would come in. They would bring their computer in and say, you know, it does this sometimes. And we're like, wow, okay. I mean there were no manuals. There was no software. There was nothing. And you just had to give it your best shot, you know. And I was like, oh, I work on computers. Like I had built a computer by then, you know. So they were like, well, good luck with it. And, uh, in fact, I remember one thing that, uh, looking back is very funny, but it encapsulates that time is we had a 30 and there were, there were some different prices. I shouldn't mention that there was a $39, 59 and 79. And it was for different things like installing a hard drive would be so much and this and that. Uh, but for $39, they had a $39 fee that was just installing software. And so people would buy games and go home and couldn't figure out how to install it. And so they would bring their game and their computer to Best Buy and I would have to install it. And this was during the time of, uh, if you remember, and this is going back a bit, but with DOS, and you remember you had like EMM, you had your high mem and your extended memory and all this, and you had to mess with your uh, config sys and auto exec to get enough RAM so that these games would play. The games would say on the box, you know, this requires 570K of free RAM or whatever. Uh, and so people would buy these games and go home and it wouldn't run. And so they would bring it. I remember this lady, I very specifically remember this one lady that brought her tower in and brought in a copy of SimCity and was like, I can't get this to work. And so I, I had this program. I think I downloaded it from a BBS called a Helix Cloaking Software. And it was similar to, uh, in, in theory, it was similar to MemMaker. Uh, if you're, if you're not familiar with that, MemMaker was Microsoft's tool where you would run it and it would try to change like how your drivers, where they loaded in memory and stuff and, and free up, uh, more memory for playing games and stuff. Well, Helix Cloaking did that by, uh, tricking it and using these little miniature, uh, drivers, like 1K drivers that would then call other drivers, but they weren't loaded in memory. And so you could get a lot of memory. So I had downloaded, I mean, this is basically, this is what I'm telling you. I downloaded this pirated, version of helix cloaking and every customer that came in that said they couldn't get a game to install i would install that 
on their computer. So again, some random tool that I've got from a BBS, I'm installing on customers' tools, and they left, and they were so happy that this lady was like, oh, I get to play SimCity. Uh, but that's, you know, we had nothing. We had no tools. Uh, I mean, not not physical tools like screwdrivers, but I mean, we had no software. We had no training, no nothing. So we were literally just just flying by the seat of our pants and, and doing um you know what whatever it is that we could do and uh the the other thing that was great about this uh area and this is uh getting into eh, questionable territory but uh these people would um people would bring games back like i remember uh oh gosh what was it heroes quest or something like that somebody had brought it back and they said well it didn't work and then we would just tell them up oh, go get another copy so now we have a copy of a game up there in our little booth right and so it's going to go to the brown goods warehouse and get mailed back but i thought well does it have to go today <laughs> So when people would bring back software, and a lot of times people were doing it because they would buy a game and then, the, you know, somebody would buy a game and then they would, they were just trying to trick Best Buy and they would try to exchange it for a different game or something like that, you know. So th there was nothing wrong with the game or maybe the game just didn't work on their computer. So they would drop it off. We were supposed to look at it, and then we would take it to Brown Goods Warehouse. Well, sometimes I took them home for you know a week, and I would go play the game, and then I would bring them back, and then I would take it to Brown Goods Warehouse. So I, I didn't really see the harm in that. Now you know, I, and it's not the most ethical thing to do, uh, but we did have um, a computer up there with a, a modem up in the tech booth, and so there was something we were supposed to be able to dial into to get help or something, but I, it was so convoluted, I never got it to work. Um, but what I did do is call my BBS at home. So uh, I remember there was some game. It was on floppies. I don't remember what it was. Um, but uh, somebody had brought it in. And so I just, like, zipped up all the floppies and then called the BBS. And <laughs> I just uploaded it to my house. <laughs> so, I'm, you know, I was, like, running this little software, you know, like a piracy ring from the Best Buy tech booth. And, I mean, this might have happened, I don't know, less than a dozen times over the whole time I worked there. So it's not like I was churning, you know, stuff in and out through Best Buy. But if the situation came up, then uh, uh, then sometimes, you know, we would take advantage of it. <laughs> it's funny thinking about that now. Actually, the uh, computer that I ran my home BBS on came from Best Buy. And this is a funny story. These people that bought these warranties – uh, they they would have a warranty that would say my computer warranty, you know, is good for four years. Well, four years is a long time in computers, you know, especially back then. I mean, uh, you know, this was 1994. So I think four years before, I mean, what would you have? A Maybe a 286, maybe, you know, or an XT still. So four years was a long time back then when things were really advancing. So this lady brought in a computer and she had a warranty and she was like, this machine won't turn on. It won't, you know, do anything and I need you to fix it. And it was a 386, either a 16 or a 25. I mean, it was pretty outdated, you know, by the time I got it. And, uh, I couldn't, I, it was a CMOS battery is what it was. So when it would, uh, when you would fire the machine up, it would say, I don't know the hard drive settings, you know, all that. I remember back when you had to put your hard drive settings in your, in your BIOS. And, and so it wouldn't store that in, in, uh, because the battery was dead. So every time you turn it on, you had to redo that. And so I, I told the manager, I was like, we don't carry batteries here. Like I can go to radio shack and buy the battery. He's like, no, you, you have to do it with stuff we have here. And I'm like, we can't. And so this lady complained and they gave her a new computer. 
um, they replaced it. And so this old computer went on our little shelf and I asked the manager what to do with it. And he said, throw it away. I never want to see it again. And so I was like, we don't ship it back or whatever. He's like, no, they're not going to take that old piece of crap. You got to, you got to throw it away. And so I was like, okay. And I carried it out and I put it right in the back of my car. <laughs> so I threw it away to my house and I took it home and I went and bought a battery and replaced the battery. And that became the gas chamber BBS. Uh, so pretty much the whole time that I ran, uh, the gas chamber was off of a computer that a lady had brought to Best Buy and that we uh, could not fix. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I was friends with uh, some of the loss prevention people, and so I would work with them sometimes. Like I said, when they would take a break, uh, I would go sit up there in the front. Um, you know, especially if there was two of us in the tech booth, I would go over and sit uh, with the, the loss prevention people. Uh, there were a couple of incidents I recall. Uh, there's several loss prevention incidents I recall, unfortunately. Uh, one of the first ones was uh, I remember there was a uh, a guy that was walking around the store and he had a shopping cart and he had filled it with all this stuff like hard drives and this and that. And uh, the the loss prevention people, they they called us and they were like, hey, you need to watch this guy. This This is not – this looks suspicious, you know. And so the guy took this cart of stuff. And then he walked all around the store and he went over to this area and that area and all that. And, of course, you know, the, the LP people are watching him. And then he went back in appliances uh, and was there for a while. And then he came out and he left the cart in appliances and uh, walked out the store. And, you know, the, the laws about stopping people are really in people's – you know, you, you can't just like stop people and pat them down and detain people and do all that. You just can't do that. You know, people will sue you. And so this guy walked out the store and with, he left the whole shopping cart there. And so later on, we went and got the cart and uh, we had to go put all that stuff back on the shelves, you know. And that night when they were cleaning up an appliances, somebody opened up one of the refrigerators and there were a couple of boxes, empty boxes of hard drives. And so what this guy had done was he knew where the security cameras were. And so he had went and stood behind a refrigerator where the camera couldn't see him. He had opened up a hard drive box and then pulled the hard drive out and obviously stuck it in his pants or something uh, and then put the trash inside the refrigerator and left it there. So that was the first time that I remember like someone actually like seeing somebody and then that had happened, you know. Um, there was also – the Best Buy that I worked in, in the very far back corner was a speaker room, and it was all different kinds of speakers, and that was where you would press the buttons and you could hear uh, speakers compared to one another. And uh, it was a really dark little alcove back there, and the camera just couldn't see in there. And every now and then when people would steal CDs, that's where you would find CDs and, and the security thing stuff because people knew that. People figured that out that the cameras couldn't – see back there. And now you notice in the new Best Buys, uh, since they've been redesigned, that none of them have a room like that. Uh, they, they just got rid of that. Um, unfortunately, I have a lot of stories, and I'm not going to tell them all, but of uh, employees uh, that were stealing and got caught stealing. And there was this one kid, this black guy named Willie. He was a couple years younger than me. He's a little chubby guy. And I just really liked him. Every time he came in, I'd say, hey, Willie, you know, and, and um, uh, of course, you know, I, I grew up 
uh, liking. I loved heavy metal and stuff, but I also really got into. I mean, I was I was always into uh, '80s rap, like the Fat Boys and and uh, Beastie Boys and um, LL Cool J, early stuff like that. Uh, and then I had even got into the gangster stuff, you know, like NWA and Easy E, and and I was really into Ice T and stuff. So uh, Willie worked over in the CD area, and so we would come over and, and uh, we would just talk about you know new CDs that were coming out and stuff. I really liked that kid. And uh, one day I, I showed up to work and they were walking him out and uh, they had, there was a police officer and there's a, an LP person and they'd caught him stealing CDs. I never, I mean, I don't even think I knew this guy's last name. I never saw him again, heard from him again or anything, you know, um, but that, that always kind of broke my heart just because, um, you know, in the big picture CDs are not expensive, you know what I mean? So uh, I don't want to say if you're going to steal, steal big, but you know what I'm saying? Like, don't. Don't get arrested over stealing a $10 CD. And it just, it just really, uh, I don't know. I, like I said, I really liked that kid. And uh, so that that was really disappointing. And then there was this big, uh, I won't say controversy, there was a, a big uh, arrest in Best Buy. And there was a guy that worked, um, a really, really nice guy that worked in uh, a TVs. And uh, his girlfriend was a cashier. And so... Uh, you have to think about how this looks to a normal person, like to a person, you know, other employer people in the store. When you buy a television, there's a guy that will get that television in a cart or on a dolly and follow you up to the store. And then when you're all done, you would go, you know, that person would follow you out to your car after you've gone through the cashier line that would follow you out, uh, you know, uh, to your car and load it up and then come back in. Right. And so uh, this guy was basically stealing televisions and stealing stuff. And what he was doing was uh, he would load up, like, let's say, a television. And then if there was somebody in the television department, he would just follow them around. So they have no idea what he's doing, but he's just following them. And then they would go up and check out of the cashier's line. And then he would walk right past them. Uh, you know, and go outside to the parking lot. So to everybody in the store, it looked like they had bought a, a television and he was carrying it for them. But in reality, he would then go out and put it in the back of his truck and drive home and drop it off and then come back to work. Uh, and so I don't remember, uh, his, his girlfriend was a manager slash cashier person. And I don't remember, I, I seem to think like she didn't get in trouble, like she didn't know about it, but there was a lot of questions uh, about that situation. But, um, you know, it just goes to show, I mean, he was a totally nice guy. I really liked talking to him. And um, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, we found out that he had the, the best furnished apartment <laughs> in Oklahoma City. I wish I could remember that guy's uh, full name. I would go look him up, but... Uh, yeah, uh, so there there was a lot of that, and, and that becomes a problem when uh, you know how security works, and this expands to uh, computers, this expands to physical security, anything like that, is once you know how it works, you know the ways to get around it, and so that's that's uh, becomes a really dangerous uh, situation. I mentioned those guys I worked with, uh, Brian and Nathan and and Chris and all those guys. I, I, I have so many stories, and they don't really play into Working at Best Buy, I remember um, uh, one time, uh, Brian, uh, you know, in Oklahoma at the time, it was not legal to get tattoos, but you could get them in Texas. And so Brian was going to get these tattoos of Calvin and Hobbes on his uh, on his shins. And so he and, and myself and, and Nathan, we went on a, a road trip for a day. We drove down to Denton, Texas, and 
Brian got his tattoos and, and just like, you know, it, it, it's funny because those, those people were such good friends. Um, and, in fact, uh, Brian was uh, one of my groomsmen at, uh, at my wedding and, um, uh, you know, at Nathan, uh, another guy, the other guy that went on that trip and he was really into skateboarding and he and I would go out, he would do the skateboarding and I would do the watching for the most part. But I, I remember going out and, uh, and hanging out with him and, uh, Chris and Brian, there was a Hooters right next to uh, where we worked. There was one time <laughs> where the three of us, uh, sometimes we would meet and go over there, uh, you know, before work and we'd go to Hooters and have some wings and, and, and then go to work. And so there was one time where we had, uh, all met and we were all supposed to go there. And I, I don't remember what the deal is, but for some reason we were drinking a lot of beer <laughs> and, uh, uh, one of us got a, a page or a phone call. I, I, I certainly, I didn't have a cell phone. Maybe Chris got a page or something, but, um, but what had happened was we were supposed to be doing the truck and none of us knew. And so when we show in, they were like, Oh my gosh, yeah, the truck's all behind. And so, we were all, I mean, we, each of us had drank about a pitcher of beer, and so we were just running around <laughs> with dollies, uh, having a good time, you know. But it just lots, lots of uh, good memories from all that. Now, uh, as a computer guy, one of the main reasons that uh, I looked for a job at Best Buy was because I wanted to get that employee discount. The employee discount was cost plus 5%. So whatever the store paid for an item plus 5%. Uh, is what we could get things for. And there were certain things that would be really cheap, computer software uh, and video games. I remember that, you know, there were Super Nintendo games that would be 30 or $40 and cost plus 5% would be like $15. So you could really, uh, you know, get good deals on certain things, especially uh, peripherals, like joysticks and things like that were, were always really cheap. Uh, and then the computer discount, if you bought a whole computer system was really good too, but there was a limit. You could only do that like once every six months or something like that. There were also uh, software bargain bins and I would, I would buy stuff all the time. This was when, uh, CD ROMs were just coming out. And so it was really a novelty to have anything on a CD ROM. And so I would go through and, and, um, you know, anything that was on CD, I would buy, uh, games that I had had, you know, uh, that I wanted to own because I could get them really cheap. I would buy those. Um, I bought my first uh, 288 modem from Best Buy while I was working there uh, using my discount. And then uh, the, the biggest thing that I purchased with my employee uh, discount was a gig hard drive. Now, uh, when I started there, I think we had like uh, 330 meg hard drives. And then, uh, there was like 400, like 420 meg hard drives and 540 meg. Like, so each couple of weeks, a new bigger hard drive would show up. And I was like, I was like, Brian, Tracy guys, one of these days, they're going to have a thousand meg hard drive. And they're like, no, 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 you're not going to have a thousand meg hard drive. And then there was a, a 730 and an 850. I was like, oh, it's so close. And so then finally one day, Tracy said, Hey, we're, we're getting one. It's, it's a called a, it's a gigabyte, which is a thousand megabytes. So we're like, no way. And so the price was a thousand dollars, $999. And, uh, with my employee discount, uh, it was, I believe five seventy five. I mean, it was a huge discount. And so we only got two of them in and Tracy and I reserved them. So we got two gig hard drives in two one gig hard drives in, I should say. And Tracy bought one and I bought the other. I went home, I immediately put it on my BBS and I changed, 
uh, all my logon screens to say, you know, the gas chamber now with one gigabytes of storage. It was like a huge deal, you know. <laughs> and uh, you know what? I, I have a couple stories I was just thinking about uh, with Tracy. Um, and, and one of them was really funny. Uh, and, and it was um, we had these security tags. I'm sure you've seen them, the little white stickers. And that's what sets off the alarm thing. And so they're sticky and they're really hard to get off of things. Obviously, that's the idea, you know, without destroying them. So um, someone had told me that uh, uh, what they would do is in the break room or in the back, what they would do is they would take those stickers and they would lay them sticky side up. So people would walk and step on them and get them on their shoe and not notice. And then when you're leaving at the end of the night, you have an employee leaving that's setting off the security thing, which is not good. And so they would search, you know, and they would you'd empty your pockets and your purse and on and on and on. And eventually they would find out that you have a, a security tag on the bottom of your shoe. <laughs> but uh, Tracy always was one of these guys that always had his mug with him, like a 44 ounce or whatever, even bigger, uh, you know, mug where he would bring Coke or tea or whatever he was drinking. And uh, someone put one of those stickers on the bottom of his mug. <laughs> and so when he was leaving, the security thing just kept going off over and over, and they eventually found it. But I always thought that was really funny. Um, there's a uh, a funny story about those aisles I, I was talking about where you would put the product up on top of the aisles. Um, now, this actually ties into another story uh, we we had, I believe, what was called a phase one store, and they changed them all. If you remember in the 90s, they changed how Best Buys were laid out. They moved everything around. And so they turned our store from a phase one store into a phase two, and there was a remodel. And so the remodel shift was from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m., I think. And so if you wanted hours, you could work 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. And uh, – uh, so I, I said, I'd do it, you know? And so we would show up. So after close and everybody would show up and they would say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tear this down and move it, or we're going to do different things, you know? And so it, it was a lot of fun watching uh, a store like that be dis, you know, deconstructed, uh, and reconstructed in a different way. And, uh, uh, so anyway, I, I was working, you know, there was one day where I had worked, uh, like a double shift already. I'd worked the morning shift, uh, you know, from eight to four. And then I'd worked, you know, from four till close. And now I was going to work from 11 till six. And so, uh, so I'd been there, you know, almost 24 hours. And I was exhausted. And so one of the things that needed to be done was all the, the product on the top of the aisles needed to be organized. So, uh, I, I came and, uh, I climbed up one of the ladders at the end of the aisle and then I climbed over the, the stuff up on top. So, I mean, imagine this and you're, you're eight foot in the air, you're way above where everybody else is on the aisle and I'm up there and there's all these giant computer boxes and they're down the left-hand side and down the right-hand side. And then I realized, you know, if you kind of duck down, nobody could see you up here. You know, it was like a little place to hide. Like you had a fort, you know, of computer boxes. And so I thought, oh, that's cool. And so, and then uh, it was like metal kind of grate up there, but uh, there was some cardboard. And so I laid it down and I was like, you know what? I bet I could lay down here and take a 10 minute nap. <laughs> so that was my idea. This is like three in the morning. I'd been there all day, all night. So <clears throat> I laid down and uh, decided to take a nap at Best Buy. I woke up and the first thing I could hear was customers. I could hear people talking. Uh, and I look, and of course the ladder is long gone that I'd climbed up. Somebody had just assumed that they had left a ladder there, and so they'd wheeled off the ladder. So I had literally slept like eight hours, and it was, you know, 
10 in the morning, 10 30, 11 in the morning. There's customers there. The store's open. And, uh, I'm like, oh my gosh. And so, um, <clears throat> I don't remember who it was. It was probably Brian. Uh, but I, but I remember having to yell at somebody or whisper. And I was like, Brian, you know, and he was like, what are you doing up there? And, and I, they were like, I thought you went home. I'm like, no, I need you to give me a ladder. <laughs> so I literally just slept all night on top of, uh, the Best Buy aisle thing. And nobody knew that was, uh, that was the best part. So. Um, I mentioned that I had uh, met a couple other celebrities at Best Buy, and the reason for that is because the Best Buy I worked in was in the same parking lot as Joker's Comedy Club. So there were often uh, comedians from that were uh, uh, on tour that were playing the comedy clubs, and they would come into Best Buy and, and do some shopping or whatever. And I remember one morning, it was before uh, before the store had opened, and I was walking, and I walked by the video game area, and I saw a guy playing PlayStation. Uh, and um, anyway, he, he was wearing a, a trench coat, and uh, you know I just saw him from the back, and I walked, and I was like, there's a guy with a trench coat in the video game area. And somebody goes, yeah, it's Gallagher. And I was like, what? And so I went back over there, and it was. It was Gallagher, and he was on a tour, and he had just bought this big tour bus and was uh, putting a video game system in it. And so he was trying out games, and so I walked over, and um, uh, he, he said something. We made this little conversation, and basically it turned into a thing that I told him I could beat him at this game of some fighting game. I don't remember what it was. So anyway, I, I played some fighting game with against Gallagher, <laughs> and I, if I remember right, I did beat him. Uh, but that was kind of fun. And I had my little, uh, pad with me, you know, where, where you could, uh, write tickets for people and stuff like that. And so I, I had him, uh, sign my little pad. So that was cool. I've got that somewhere. Uh, and then one time, uh, Michael Winslow came into the store and, uh, I, I did not get to meet him. I saw him from afar, but, uh, Michael Winslow is the, uh, the black guy that did all the sound effects in the police Academy movies. And he has a little cameo in Spaceballs. And uh, somebody was like, Michael Winslow's here. And he was in the, the CD section and he was there with like six guys. I don't know if they were like bodyguards or buddies of him, but they were all like in this little pack of guys, you know? So there's like six or seven black guys all standing really close together in a circle. And I was like, well, where is he? And they're like, well, he's in there somewhere. <laughs> but he was like kind of standing in the middle where you couldn't really see him, you know? So... Uh, so I did not get his, uh, autograph or whatever, but that was kind of cool. And people would, uh, uh, come into the store like that. Uh, so anyway, uh, I worked, uh, I mentioned I started at Best Buy in August of, uh, 1994 and I w worked there through April of 1995. I was, uh, working there during the, uh, uh, April 19th, uh, bombing. I had already turned in my notice. I'd found another job. And I turned in my notice, and uh, then we had the uh, uh, the April nineteenth bombing in nineteen ninety five when the uh, when Timothy McVeigh blew up the uh, Murrah building, and uh, Best Buy had put up uh, some pallets in the front of the store, and they were asking for donations of uh, gloves and water, and Best Buy uh, had donated uh, batteries and flashlights and I think portable radios and some other things like that. So uh, I, I wasn't really involved in that. I didn't deliver the stuff or anything like that, but I just remember seeing it at the front of the store, you know. And um, uh, so that, that was kind of a, a weird time, but it's definitely uh, what I associate with when I left uh, Best Buy. And uh, like I said, I had turned in my notice uh, because a friend of mine had told me about a help desk job at the FAA. And so I left Best Buy. And, um, 
moved to the FAA where I have been for since then, <laughs> since that day. And uh, I remember I, I didn't want to quit Best Buy. I really liked Best Buy. I liked the people. I liked all the stuff. You know, I liked being around the computers and the software and, and in the tech booth. And I told them that I'm not really going to quit, uh, but I'm going to come back and work like on the weekends or work the truck or whatever. And they said, okay. And uh, then I went to the FAA. I said, but give me like a month, you know. And so I went to the FAA and I started on this help desk. And for a month, I sat down. I mean, I sat in a chair and I sat behind a desk. And, um, you know, that that's what I did. And, uh, you know, after about a month, I told Best Buy, I was like, hey, I'm going to come work a truck or whatever. And so they said, okay. And I went and I worked a truck and I couldn't do it. I was just like winded and uh, out of shape, you know, from from just being not on my feet for 40 hours a week. And I was like, yeah, that's it. I'm done. And I told him I wasn't coming back. So that was uh, how it ended. And I have a, uh, uh, I think just recently I was cleaning out a, a box of uh, old shirts that don't fit anymore that were out in the garage from uh, one move or another. And I saw my, my Best Buy polos. Uh, and one of them has uh, some stains on it. And I'll tell you that. And that'll be the last story. Um, <clears throat> we were told one time that uh, corporate was coming. And the corporate guys from Best Buy were going to come down and inspect our store. And uh, they said, so make sure you have on your shirts and make sure you have, uh, you know, your uniform the way it's supposed to be. And so I thought as a young, rebellious 21-year-old, 20-year-old, whatever, uh, I thought, wouldn't it be funny if I showed up with blue hair <laughs> and it would match the shirt, right? So I got this blue hair dye. And this is one once uh, – I've done this twice in my life, and neither time has it gone well. I decided to dye my hair blue, and um, it went so horrible. And I, I, uh, it worked okay, but it didn't stay in my hair. It came out when I sweat, and so um, as I as I was working, and first of all, my hair is black, so it didn't even show up that well. But as uh, the day went on, someone was like, "Are your ears? Are you okay? Because your ears are blue." And so this stuff, this blue hair color had started running out of my hair and my neck had been dyed blue. My ears were blue. Uh, it was really embarrassing and uh, not, not at all the uh, effect I had wanted. But uh, so anyway, I, I barely dyed my hair blue, but really what I did was dye my, uh, my neck and my ears and everything else. And uh, after several days of scrubbing, <laughs> I got that off just in time uh, for the new job. That wraps up another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any other episode of You Don't Know Flack, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com. Contact me on Twitter at Commodork. Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash you don't know flack. That's all one word. Or leave me voicemail on the You Don't Know Flack podcast hotline at area code 405-486-YDKF. You Don't Know Flack is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the You Don't Know Flack RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from me, check out my Commodore 64 theme podcast, Sprite Castle, at spritecastle.com, and Throwback Reviews at throwbackreviews.com. Both of these shows are also available at throwbacknetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on another episode of You Don't Know Flack.